Section 76 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Valerie Marino. The World Story, Volume 13, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 76, Stonewall Jackson by the River. 1863. By Mary Johnston. The Battle of Chancellorsville was one of the most important engagements of the whole war. An exceedingly brilliant part of the battle was the flank movement of Jackson, which is described as follows. Lee ordered Jackson, who had been stationed on his extreme right with 30,000 men, to make a wide detour, and swinging round to the extreme right of the Federal position, make an unexpected assault upon the enemy's flank. The direction of this movement was not apparent to the Federals, who began to regard it in the nature of a retreat about six p m after a march of some fifteen miles jackson fell suddenly upon the flank and rear of howard's corps which constituted the right flank of the federal army and taking it by surprise stampeded it jackson while in advance of his troops was fired upon and mortally wounded by his own men who mistook his escort for a detachment of federals the editor a very few yards from chancellorsville he checked little sorrel the horse stood four feet planted horse and rider they stood and listened hooker's reserves were up about the chancellor house on the chancellorsville ridge they were throwing up entrenchments they were digging the earth with bayonets they were heaping it up with their hands there was a ringing of axes they were cutting down the young spring growth they were making an abetus tones of command could be heard hurry 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 they meant to rush us hurry hurry a dead creeper mantling a dead tree caught by some flying spark suddenly flared through its length stood a pillar of fire and showed readily the enemy's guns stonewall jackson sat his horse and looked cut them off from the ford he said never let them get out of virginia he jerked his hand into the air turning little sorrel he rode back along the plank road toward his own lines the light of the burning brush had sunk in the cannon smoke floating in the air the very thick woods made all things obscure there are troops across the road in front said an aide yes lane's north carolinans awaiting their signal a little to the east and south broke out in the wildness a sudden rattling fire sinking sinking again the blue and gray skirmishes now in touch all through the vast dark tangled beating heart of the place sprang into being attention the gray lines listened for the word advance the musket rested on the shoulder the foot quivered eyes front tried to pierce the darkness sound was unceasing and yet the mind found a stillness a lake of calm it was the moment before the moment stonewall jackson came toward the carolinans he rode quickly past the dark shell of a house sunken among pines there were with him seven or eight persons the woods were deep the obscurity great suddenly out of the brush rang a shot an accidentally discharged rifle some gray soldier among lane's tensely waiting ranks dressed in the woods to the right of the road spoke from the core of a fearful dream yankee cavalry fire called an officer of the eighteenth north carolina the volley striking diagonally across the road emptied several saddles stonewall jackson the aides and wilburn wheeled to the left dug spur and would have plunged into the wood fire said the carolinans dressed to the left of the road and fired little sorrel maddened and dashed into the woods an oak bough stuck its rider almost bearing him from the saddle with his right hand from which the blood was streaming in which a bullet was embedded he caught the bridle managed to turn the agonized brute into the road again 
There seemed a wild sound, a wild confusion of voices. Someone had stopped the firing. My God, men, you are firing into us. In the road were the aides. They caught the rein, stopped the horse. Wilborn put up his arms. General, general, you are not hurt? Hold there, Morrison, Lee. They laid him on the ground beneath the pines, and they fired the brushwood for a light. One rode off for Dr. McGuire, and another with a penknife cut away the sleeve from the left arm through which had gone two bullets. A mounted man came at a gallop and threw himself from his horse. It was A.P. Hill. General, general, you are not much hurt? Yes, I think I am, said Stonewall Jackson, and my wounds are from my own men. Hill drew off the gauntlets that were all blood-soaked, and with his handkerchief tried to bind up the arm, shattered and with the main artery cut. A courier came up. Sir, sir, a body of the enemy is close at hand. The aides lifted the wounded general. No one, said Hill, must tell the troops who was wounded. The other opened his eyes. Tell them simply that you have a wounded officer. General Hill, you are in command now. Press right on. With a gesture of sorrow, Hill went, returning to the front. The others rested at the edge of the road. At that moment, the Federal batteries opened. A hissing storm of shot and shell, a tornado meant measurably to retard that anticipated gray onrush. The range was high. Aides and couriers laid the wounded leader on the earth and made of their bodies a screen. The trees were cut, the earth was torn up, there was a howling as of unchained fiends. There passed what seemed an eternity and was but ten minutes. The great blue guns slightly changed the direction of their fire. The storm howled away from the group by the road, and the men again lifted Jackson. He stood now on his feet, and because troops were heard approaching, and because it must not be known that he was hurt, all moved into the darkness of the scrub. The troops upon the road came on Pender's brigade. Pender, riding in advance, saw the group and asked who was wounded. A field officer, answered one, but there came from some direction a glare of light, and by it Pender knew. He sprang from his horse. Don't say anything about it, General Pender, said Jackson. Press on, sir, press on. General, they are using all their artillery. It is a very deadly fire. In the darkness it may disorganize. The forage cap was gone. The blue eyes showed full and deep. You must hold your ground, General Pender. You must hold out to the last, sir. I will, General, I will, said Pender. A litter was found and brought, and Stonewall Jackson was laid upon it. The little procession moved toward Dowdall's tavern. A shot pierced the arm of one of the bearers, loosening his hold of the litter. It tilted. The general fell heavily to the ground, injuring afresh the wounded limb, striking and bruising his side. They raised him, pale, now and silent, and at last they struggled through the wood to a little clearing where they found an ambulance. Now, too, came the doctor, a man whom he loved, and knelt beside him. I hope that you are not badly hurt, General. Yes, I am, Doctor. I am badly hurt. I fear that I am dying. In the ambulance lay also his chief of artillery, Colonel Crutchfield, painfully injured. Crutchfield pulled the doctor down to him. He's not badly hurt? Yes, badly hurt. Crutchfield groaned. Oh, my God. Stonewall Jackson heard and made the ambulance stop. You must do something for Colonel Crutchfield, Doctor. Don't let him suffer. A.P. Hill, riding back to the front, was wounded by a piece of shell. Boswell, the chief engineer, to whom had been entrusted the guidance through the night of the advance upon the roads to the fords, was killed. That was a fatal cannonade from the ridge of Chancellorsville. Fatal and fateful. It continued. The wilderness chanted a battle chant, indeed to the moon, the moon that was pale and wan, as if wearied with silvering battlefields. Hill lying in a litter, just back from his advanced line, dispatched couriers for Stuart. Stuart was far towards Eli's ford, riding through the night in plume and fighting jacket. The straining horses, the recalling order reached him. General Jackson badly wounded. A.P. Hill badly wounded. 
I in command, my godman, all changed like that, right about face, forward, march. There was that night no gray assault, but the dawn broke clear and found the gray lines waiting. The sky was a glory, the wilderness rolled in emerald waves, the red bird sang. Lee and the second corps were yet two miles apart. Between was Chancellorsville, and all the strong entrenchments, and the great blue guns, and Hooker's courageous men. Now followed Jeb Stuart's fight. In the dawn, the Second Corps swung from the right by a master hand, struck full against the Federal Center, struck full against Chancellorsville. In the clear May morning broke a thunderstorm of artillery. It raged loudly, peal on peal, crash on crash. The gray shells struck the Chancellor House. They set it on fire. It went up in flames. A fragment of shell struck and stunned fighting Joe Hooker. He lay senseless for hours, and Couch took command. The gray musketry, the blue musketry, rolled, rolled. The wilderness was on fire. In places it was like a prairie. The flames licked their way through the scrub. The wounded perished. Ammunition began to fail. Stuart ordered the ground to be held with the bayonet. There was a great attack against his left. His three lines came into one and repulsed it. His right and Anderson's left now touched. The Army of Northern Virginia was again a unit. Stuart swung above his head the hat with the black feather. His beautiful horse danced along the gray lines, the lines that were very grimly determined, the lines that knew now that Stonewall Jackson was badly wounded. They meant the grain lines to make this day and the wilderness remembered. Forward charge, cried Jeb Stuart. Remember Jackson. He swung his plumed hat. Yay! 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 yelled the gray lines and charged. Stuart went at their head, and as he went, he raised in song his golden ringing voice. Old Joe Hooker, won't you come out of the wilderness? By ten o'clock, the Chancellor Ridge was taken. The blue guns silenced. Hooker, beaten back toward the Rappahannock, the wilderness, after all, was Virginian. She broke into a war song of triumph. Her flowers bloomed, her birds sang, and then came Lee to the front. Oh, the army of Northern Virginia cheered him. Men, men, he said. You have done well, you have done well. Where is General Jackson? He was told. Presently, he wrote a note and sent it to the field hospital near Dowdall's Tavern. General, I cannot express my regret. Could I have directed events, I should have chosen for the good of the country to be disabled in your stead. I congratulate you upon the victory, which is due to your skill and energy. Very respectfully, your obedient servant. R. E. Lee. An aide read it to Stonewall Jackson where he lay, very quiet in the deeps of the wilderness. For a minute he did not speak. Then he said, General Lee is very kind, but he should give the praise to God. For four days yet they fought in the wilderness, at Salem Church, at the fords of the Rappahannock, again at Fredericksburg. Then they rested. The Army of the Potomac, back on the northern side of the Rappahannock, the Army of Northern Virginia, holding the southern shore and the road to Richmond. Richmond, no nearer for McDowell, no nearer for McClellan, no nearer for Pope, no nearer for Burnside, no nearer for Hooker, no nearer after two years of war. In the wilderness and thereabouts, Hooker lost 17,000 men, 13 guns, and 1,500 rounds of cannon ammunition, 20,000 rifles, 300,000 rounds of infantry ammunition. The Army of Northern Virginia lost 12,000 men. On the 5th of May, Stonewall Jackson was carefully moved from the wilderness to Guinea's station. Here was a large old residence, the Chandler House, within a sweep of grass and trees, about it one or two small buildings. The great house was filled, crowded to its doors with wounded soldiers, so they laid Stonewall Jackson in a rude cabin among the trees. The left arm had been amputated in the field hospital. 
he was thought to be doing well, though at times he complained of the side which, in the fall from the litter, had been struck and bruised. At daylight on Thursday he had his physician called. I am suffering great pain, he said. See what is the matter with me. And presently, is it pneumonia? That afternoon his wife came. He was roused to speak to her, greeted her with love, then sank into something like stupor. From time to time he awakened from this, but there were also times when he was slightly delirious. He gave orders in a shadow of the old voice. You must hold out a little longer, men. You must hold out a little longer. Press forward, press forward press forward. Give them canister, Major Pelham. Friday went by and Saturday. The afternoon of this day, he asked for his chaplain, Mr. Lacey. Later in the twilight, his wife sang to him old hymns that he loved. Sing the fifty-first psalm in verse, he said. She sang, Show pity, Lord. O Lord, forgive. The night passed, and Sunday the tenth dawned. He lay quiet, his right hand on his breast. One of the staff came for a moment to his bedside. Who is preaching at headquarters today? He was told, and said, Good, I wish I might be there. The officer's voice broke. General, General, the whole army is praying for you. There is a message from General Lee. Yes, yes, give it. He sends you his love. He says that you must recover, that you have lost your left arm, but that he would lose his right arm. He says, tell you, that he prayed for you last night as he had never prayed for himself. He repeats what he said in his note, for that the good of Virginia and the South, he could wish that he were lying here in your place. The soldier on the bed smiled a little and shook his head. Better ten Jacksons should lie here than one Lee. It was sunny weather, fair and sweet, with all of the bloom of May, the bright trees waving, the long grass rippling, the waters flowing, the sky azure, bees about the flowers, the birds singing piercingly sweet, Mother Earth so beautiful, the sky, down-bending the light of the sun, so gracious, warm, and vital. A little before noon, kneeling beside him, his wife told Stonewall Jackson that he would die. He smiled and laid his hand upon her bowed head. You are frightened, my child. Death is not so near. I may yet get well. The doctor came to him. Doctor, Anna tells me that I am to die today. Is it so? Oh, General, General, it is so. He lay silent a moment. Then he said, Very good very good. It is all right. Throughout the day, his mind was now clouded, now clear. In one of the latter times, he said there was something he was trying to remember. There followed a half hour of broken sleep and wandering, in the course of which he spoke a name, Dedrick. Once he said, horse artillery, and once, white oak swamp. The alternate clear moments and the lapses into stupor or delirium were like the sinking or rising of a strong swimmer, exhausted at last, the prey at last of a shoreless sea. At times he came head and shoulders out of the sea. In such a moment he opened his grey-blue eyes full on one of his staff. All the staff was gathered in grief about the bed. When Richard Cleave, he said, asks for a court of inquiry, let him have it. Tell General Lee, the sea drew him under again. It hardly let him go any more. Moment by moment now, it wore out the strong swimmer. The day drew on to afternoon. He lay straight upon the bed, silent for the most part, but now and then wandering a little. His wife bowed herself beside him. In a corner wept the old man Jim. Outside the windows there seemed a hush as of death. Pass the infantry to the front, ordered Stonewall Jackson. Tell A.P. Hill to prepare for action. The voice sank. There came a long silence. There was only heard the old man crying in the corner. Then, for the last time in this phase of being, the great soldier opened his eyes. In a moment he spoke, in a very sweet and calm voice, let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. He died. End of section 76. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Valerie Marino.